You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Election College, episode 93. Tammany Hall, the organization that's kind of nefarious, but definitely helped shape America. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for election college, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Hey Jason, Tammany Hall, uh, Illuminati. Um, mysterious. What do these three things have in common? Uh, it's all about election college and how we've been paid off. And actually, aliens have invaded our bodies and we're not really who we say we are. Right. That's pretty close to exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> 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 we're going to talk about Tammany Hall. And uh, Tammany Hall over the years has been kind of a, well, how do I say this? A hot button issue in the past. It's been considered a conspirators organization it's certainly been akin to mafia organizations at some points um, but basically Tammany Hall is a political organization founded way back in 1786 in New York City and uh, they were initially known as the Tammany Society yeah so back in the day you would have these different societies who became active politically and Alexander had one it was called the Society of the Cincinnati, and that was a political machine. And Aaron Burr, <sighs> do we have to talk about Aaron Burr again? I, I told you we were going to. Aaron Burr decides that he's going to take this Tammany Hall organization and he's going to counter the Wizard of Oz's organization. So Aaron Burr, you just, ah, I didn't know we were going to talk so much about Aaron Burr. <laughs> he's an important guy in history, man. Come on. Uh, okay. He's not just the villain in Alexander Hamilton's story. Yeah. So the Democratic Republicans really were the beneficiary of Tammany becoming influential, especially when it came to New York politics. So we do need to know that. We do need to know that Aaron Burr used Tammany Hall in the election of 1800. He actually ended up winning New York because of Tammany Hall. And that totally threw off President John Adams' bid to get New York's electoral votes. Yeah. And so Tammany Hall is not just a 
political organization, but it's also been known to have a good bit of political corruption. And I guess those two things may go hand in hand, but we like to be idealists here at Election College and think that they don't. So some early cases of political corruption uh, with Tammany Hall came to light during a period of time when they were feuding with DeWitt Clinton. And we mentioned DeWitt Clinton many times before, many, many, many times before. Uh, but, <laughs> but basically, after DeWitt Clinton accuses Aaron Burr of being a traitor, Clinton uh, and Burr don't really get along very well. And Clinton leaves state Senate. He runs for the mayor of New York City. And by the way, this is when Hamilton like calls Burr out and Burr doesn't get to be mayor and then Hamilton gets shot. You know, that whole thing. Yeah. Uh, this this is part of that feud. And Tammany Hall realized at that point, um, we're no match for Clinton. We're really no match for anybody right now because people associate us with Aaron Burr. So we got to get rid of him. Yeah. Burr's pretty much a juggernaut at this point. And then he kills Hamilton <laughs> <laughs> in the duel. And boom. I, did, I didn't just say boom, did I? I think you did. I did. Yeah. Tammany continues to support Burr. And then the public is like, hey, Tammany Hall, Burr's no good. And Tammany Hall's like, yeah, you're right. So they no longer affiliate themselves with the villain. Yeah. Hey, so in uh, 1805, Clinton reaches out to Burr's supporters, and he really wants to get enough support to get rid of the Livingston family. And they're a really powerful family who is led by the former mayor of New York City and backed by some governors in New York. And they're really like sticking up to Clinton and causing them some real issues. And the Tammany Hall sachems, uh, which is what they call the leaders, they're like, OK, well, we'll meet with you, but we're not we're not going to uh, reinstate them. Sorry. And so, like, you just see all these kind of crazy underworkings and underpinnings and uh, backroom deals and backroom not deals happening all the way from the beginning where we see like, oh, Tammany Hall, you've got some clout. That's for sure. Yeah, it's fascinating because any grassroots effort to overthrow whoever is not the underdog. (laughs) So any effort to go against the machine usually turns into a machine of its own. And that's exactly what happens with Tammany Hall. You've got these powerful politicians, these establishment politicians, and Tammany Hall is for the underdog. But what ends up happening is they become a machine. And they're all about stopping Clinton and the Federalists from rising to power in New York. And the Democratic Republicans are beginning to turn against Tammany Hall in 1806. There's all kinds of funds that are going here and there. And there's a lot of corruption going on there in New York City. Yeah, I mean, between... Uh, so this this really started out as a uh, pure-blooded American kind of structure. And I'm not saying pure-blooded American. That's what, the, that's what Tammany Hall would have called themselves, pure-blooded American. But in between... 1809 and 1815, Tammany Hall is like, you know what? Our organization needs some additional help, and we really need to get new people on board. I know here's a people group that we haven't met yet, immigrants. And they really start accepting immigrants, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But they're really kind of on the little man's side for a while, even though that's never been what Tammany Hall's been about. 
they get a lot of support after they support the War of 1812. They defeat DeWitt Clinton and get their own person in as mayor. And a lot of a lot of stuff happens right around the time they start inviting immigrants into the group. Yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit of what Apple Computer did. If you are in your 30s, <laughs> early 40s, maybe even your late 20s, you're going to remember Apple computers being brought into your elementary school. And Microsoft was the big computer giant that nobody was going to go up against. Uh, you had this IBM compatible computer, and that was what you used. But then Apple computers were in the schools, and we continued with it, and then they were in our colleges, and boom, now they're the big guys. And that's pretty much what happens. Uh, you've got this weak immigrant population, and what I mean by weak is weak politically. And not even two decades later, Tammany Hall is becoming a force. By 1828, Tammany Hall becomes, again, I'm going to use the word juggernaut just because it's a big word, <laughs> becomes extremely powerful in the 1828 presidential election when the leaders meet with Andrew Jackson and endorse him. And you could credit Jackson winning over New York because of Tammany Hall. Yeah, he promised them that they could have allocation of some of the federal jobs, which eh, it's probably a felony uh, to, yeah. <laughs> to promise them that. Uh, but he made good on his promise, and Tammany Hall becomes the official city affiliate of the Democratic Party. And pretty much from that point until later, which we'll talk about, the New York City elections are controlled by the Democratic Party, and the Democratic Party in New York is controlled by Tammany Hall. Yeah, so this just continues on and on. I mean, in the 1840s, you've got hundreds of thousands of Irish immigrants arriving in New York City, and Tammany is saying, hey, welcome to America. Come with us. We will make sure that you're well taken care of. We're going to make sure that the government is looking after you. Uh, we're going to see to it that if there is something happening in your neighborhood, we're going to stick up for you and we got you covered. Yeah, if they needed food, if they needed heat, if they needed rent money, if they needed a job, if they needed an, an intermediate between them and a law enforcement agency, or if they needed to take tests that would lead to their citizenship, or if they needed really anything, Tammany Hall was like, hey, immigrants, we got you covered. And in turn, the immigrants were obviously thankful. Why wouldn't they be? And they were like influenced heavily that that was the, the those were the good people. These are the people we should should be supporting. And I'm not saying that they weren't necessarily. I'm just saying that maybe they didn't come to that conclusion by themselves. Right. So by the late 1850s, you've got the leaders at Tammany Hall, uh, namely William M. Tweed or Boss Tweed, running the city. I mean, let's just face it. No matter who's in the role of mayor, no matter who the council members are, boards of supervisors, all of that. Let's just face it. Tammany Hall, that's all you need to know. The boss wasn't Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> it was <laughs> William Tweed. And Boss Tweed made sure that all those who were becoming members of various branches of government 
were going to benefit him and that he was going to benefit them by maintaining their office. Yeah, needless to say, uh, Boss Tweed became a pretty wealthy man very quickly. Uh, He had pretty much all the access he could want to the city's funds, to the contractors, to public works programs. He had access to pretty much every governor and mayor of the city and of the state, or I guess I should have said governor of the state and mayor of the city. Uh, He got a lot of kickbacks. He sent a lot of kickbacks into the machine of Tammany Hall. And Boss Tweed is not lacking for much. There are efforts to overthrow Tweed and Tammany. Uh, You had the New York Times. You had Harper's Weekly starting to report about some of the scope of the corruption that was happening in New York politics. Eventually, Tweed gets arrested. He's tried and he's thrown into jail and is no longer in charge. And this once Protestant-dominated machine is now being taken over by the Irish. Yeah, and it didn't take long for Tammany Hall to kind of bounce back from Boss Tweed uh, going away for a while. They did a lot of house cleaning, and basically that means got rid of a lot of people that weren't great for the society and their view, and they got a new leader. And, of course, they got a guy who wasn't implicated in all these scandals from Tweed. Uh, He's a religious Catholic guy. He's actually related to an archbishop. His name's Honest John Kelly, and he's the new leader of Tammany Hall (laughs) in uh, about 1870, uh, 1872, actually. And, uh, well, they're back on the up and up again. And by up and up meaning that they're controlling everything. They're controlling Uh who is going to be elected and who is going to be awarded contracts. And so by the time the 1886 mayoral election comes around, this is really important because you've got union activists. They found a group called the United Labor Party, and they nominate economist Henry George. And George wrote a book called Progress and Poverty, and that was pretty much the standard bearer at this time. He was hesitant about running for office, but was convinced to do so after Tammany secretly offered him a seat in Congress if he would stay out of the mayoral race. Yeah, so Tammany Hall has really no expectation of Henry George being elected, but they know, well, if he's a candidate and, uh, you know, if this new party is a direct to our own, well... We want to be known as the people who are the champions of the working man. We don't want somebody else coming around, so we need him not to run. But they actually (laughs) provoked him to do so. They actually provoked him to run. (laughs) And so now they're like, well, we need a strong candidate up against him, I guess. You got this Irish influence in the city now, right? Very religious. You need to have the Catholic Church behind you, right, to get this middle-class Irish vote. And Richard Croker, who is Kelly's right-hand man, he's the new grand sachem of Tammany. And he's like, I need to form an alliance (laughs) (laughs) with some people who are outside of Tammany Hall. And there's all kinds of crazy wheeling and dealing going on behind closed doors. And 
and alliances are formed. And the only way they can counter George and Abram Hewitt for the Democratic nomination for mayor was to put Theodore Roosevelt up as the candidate for the Republicans. Yeah, so Hewitt ends up winning the election anyway. And, uh, you know, even Henry George outpolls Theodore Roosevelt. and uh, Well, Theodore Roosevelt didn't really excite the Republicans at this time. And so even though they got second place, things were still looking pretty good for the ULP. Again, that's the United Labor Party. However, they can't really do much because they didn't win an election. And, uh, well, Tammany Hall moves on anyway. Croker realizes that, hey, the ULP, they did a pretty good job with this election campaign. I should do some of that stuff. And they start doing some of that stuff. Yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting in all of this because you can blame the Democrats, you can blame Tammany Hall and everything. But the same thing was kind of going on on the other side of the aisle with the Republicans. They had a boss named Thomas Platt. He was using a lot of the same tactics that Tammany was using. And you basically had Platt and Croker controlling the entire state of New York when it came to politics. So keep moving forward. Tammany Hall keeps working themselves in and out of different elections. They uh, try to get some candidates, the owners of Macy's and Abraham and Strauss, to run for different offices. And then there's some scandals and stuff that goes on. Unfortunately for Tammany Hall, the 1894 uh, election for the mayor, it, well, it was a sweep. Pretty much statewide. Levi Morton, who's a millionaire banker from Manhattan, gets the governorship and the party also, the the party meaning the Republican Party, ends up in control of the legislature. But Tammany Hall is like, no, we are strong. We just lost this guy named Henry George. So that kind of takes everybody who's part of the political labor movement down a notch. And we got the Democratic Party shifted over enough to get a bunch more people's support. We are going to march on. The turn of the century, the turn of the 20th century, it pretty much, the stereotypes pretty much are solidified. You've got the Democrats who are basically your perceived, we know they've got money, right? They're perceived as the ragamuffins. They're perceived as those without a lot of money, the disenfranchised, where you've got the Republicans who are, well, who I think of as Daddy Warbucks, you know, the rich corporate money, you know, probably they probably all have monocles and tuxedos that they're wearing. (laughs) While the the Democrats, you know, have the they look like the newsboys. Not the newsboys, the newsies. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe the newsboys too. Yeah. In the 20th century, you have conflict between these political machines on both sides. And in the quiet times, so-called quiet times, the machines had the advantage of the solid support base. And they usually exercised control of the city and borough affairs. And they also played a major role in the state legislature. And Tammany, for example, in the 1880s onward, built a strong network of local clubs that attracted ambitious middle-class ethnics. 
But in times of crisis, the reformers took control of the offices, including the mayor's office and, and others. And these reformers were never unified. They operated through complex networks of these different civic reform groups, and they focused their lobbying efforts on their own agendas. Yeah, so you really start to see the breakdown of Tammany Hall around the turn of the century. And there's no citywide machine anymore. Pretty much these different democratic machines are doing very well inside of each of the boroughs. And Tammany Hall in Manhattan is obviously the most prominent and the one we still know the most about. But there's so many strong local clubs and political clubs and, uh, you know, so many different bosses around. And Charles Murphy, he comes around. He is quiet, but he is effective. He's a boss of from Tammany Hall from 1902 to 1924, one of the longest runs of any of the, the quote unquote bosses. Um, yeah, he just kind of is a powerhouse in the organization. And from uh, 1902 until 1924, like I said before, Charles Murphy was the boss and he wanted to clean up Tammany's image. And he even sponsored a bunch of different reforms um, through different protégés, such as the governor and uh, a couple of senators. Uh, so he's really kind of stepping in and trying to make things get better. Yeah. And I still go back to this thing of, it's a group of people. It's a small group of people who are basically saying, we have your best interests in mind, so trust us. And no matter how pure the motives were, was it corrupt? And I'll, I'll let you decide that. But uh, another guy who we've all heard of, William Randolph Hearst, uh, came into play in this whole Tammany Hall dynamic in the early part of the 20th century because here Hearst is, he's a powerful newspaper publisher. He wants to be president and he gets elected to Congress with support from Tammany, but he was defeated for mayor after a bitter contest with Tammany and won Tammany's support for his unsuccessful quest for the governorship. So it's this on again, off again relationship that Hearst has with this and um, by the 1920s, he's like, forget about it. <laughs> he hightails it off to California. He's like, I'm out. <laughs> uh, so the uh, the new regime is in. In 1932, there's a big setback because Mayor James Walker has a scandal. And he actually gets forced out of office by, who would you guess, Franklin D. Roosevelt who was elected president of the United States. And so a bunch of the different people in Tammany Hall kind of joined forces again. And Roosevelt's like, nope, uh, we're actually going to kind of stall out all the, the energy you had. And the New Deal, it's going to help us do that. So Roosevelt actually helps LaGuardia become the mayor and uh, takes even a, a little bit more wind out of Tammany Hall's sails. So LaGuardia gets elected. He organizes the whole city cabinet with a bunch of people who have no political affiliation or at least are able to put their political affiliation aside for the better good and says, OK, we are going to make this a clean and honest city government. Yeah. I mean, he's really restructuring a whole lot of things. I mean, these are big, big reforms that have you ever felt that way that you're 
in a system and you just can't get out of it. I think that's what New York was feeling at the at the time. And LaGuardia was like, hey, guys, listen, this is a whole new world. I'm going to clear things. I'm going to clear the slate. I'm going to reorganize things. And it's no wonder LaGuardia was such a popular mayor because he was the visionary behind cleaning house. And he did just that. So in 1939, there's a longtime Tammany Hall boss named Jimmy Hines, who actually gets convicted of bribery. Go figure. Uh, (laughs) And he gets a four to eight year sentence. And well, Jimmy Hines is a pretty big, well-known guy for Tammany Hall. And it's a huge blow to Tammany Hall. And well, if there's an organized crime person in the city, they kind of had connections to Jimmy Hines. And uh, if you lose all of your political clout, things start going downhill for you really soon. So a lot of different Tammany Hall officials that were affiliated with Jimmy Hines, they also got prosecuted and went to jail. So Tammany Hall in the 1920s, 1930s, 1940s, it's just sinking fast. It's losing the people that they had in office. They are getting overthrown and their people are just starting to go into jail. That's just how it's going to be. Yeah. So it really just goes in a downward spiral all all the way until the 50s and, and through the mid-60s. And the Democrats are no longer wanting to be associated with such an organization. And, of course, the Republicans are trying to play the card of we don't want to have anything to do with such organizations as well. And by the time Ed Koch comes into power uh, for the Democrats, the any hold that Tammany Hall had was gone. And boom, there it is. The end. Yeah, that's lots of people went to jail. The whole thing. <laughs> A lot of people went to jail. Yeah. So by the mid 1960s, Tammany Hall pretty much doesn't exist, and. They went from a group of guys who met in a bar every now and then to a group of guys who got a giant building in the middle of Manhattan and turned it into their own political machine where they influenced not only local state elections and political maneuverings, but also things that impacted all the way up into the federal elections for the presidency. Yeah, and you can blame Aaron Burr. And you can totally blame Aaron Burr for that. <laughs> I'd love to hear everybody's thoughts about Tammany Hall, you know, especially if you're from New York, if you've had any dealings with uh, the political machines that that exist in, in your fair state. I'd love to hear uh, your thoughts about Tammany Hall. And are there organizations out there today that, function like that. I know here in the Midwest, we don't ever claim to have any corruption, but <laughs> but surely there is something out there that might have a lock on, on your local politics. Jason, I'm offended highly that you would even suggest there's such a thing as corruption in politics anymore. No, no. <laughs> hey, well, you can tell us about all that on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email on our website, uh, wherever you want, if you want to shout out and say something to us. And uh, also, we would really appreciate it if you took 
you know, 30 to 90 seconds to just hop onto iTunes, leave us a review that helps us out, makes us happy, bumps us up in the ratings, and more people find out about us. Every time we get a review, our, our download numbers go up and it makes us happy inside. So that's worth something, right? Yeah, makes us happy on the outside too. Yeah. So, and of course, you can always head over to election.com slash Amazon and buy some amazing things on Amazon. With that one click, man, you can buy an airplane if you want to. But when you do so using our affiliate link, it helps us out, gives us a little bit of a cut so we can maintain this awesome podcast. We will see you next week for another edition of this awesome podcast. (laughs) We'll see you.